Helen! There's Enola. Smokers took her. They'd have me too if it weren't for him. My friend, thank you. Very human of you. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 127 and 128, which begin with Gregor putting a positive spin on the loss of the Trimoran and end with the Atoll survivors being the worst. The exact opposite of the worst are our special guests for today. We have Michelle and Tom from Apocalypse in Review. Hello. hey Hi, everybody. As far as... Apocalypse in Review. Could you give our listeners a little taste of what that show is that you do? Yeah, sure. It's basically just us talking about Apocalypse movies. It's a it's yeah. a comedic podcast, right? Like we don't take ourselves seriously. We're not like serious movie reviewers. No, Tom always either. likes to say it's kind of like after you've watched a movie, you would leave and kind of talk about it. With yeah, friends it's, at it's a Denny's like, is his thing. I mean, I've, I've always been an IHOPS girl, so okay, fine. I don't get that analogy, but you know what I'm saying. Like, Okay, it's you watch the movie, then you're talking with your friends at a diner afterwards. It's not a super serious review. We're probably not going to get involved in cinematography and stuff <laughs> like that. We're not trained experts. <laughs> I love that that's your description of the impetus of the show, because that's largely how we started out doing this too. <laughs> we would come out of the theater and we talk the whole drive home about the movie. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're right. Everybody does that. So we mm -hmm. decided to record it. Yeah. yeah. I don't like scary movies. So it's been one of those things where it's been a really growing experience. Like I've learned to grow a lot <laughs> as a person because um, I can't do jump scares. I still can't put. Yeah, I'm learning to suppress my feelings of fear as I <laughs> watch these. And I feel like I'm becoming more mature, you know? I'm becoming a better person. Gross. <laughs> That's one of the things you see with apocalypse films in general is you've got a lot of, oh no, all the gas ran out. Oh no, an asteroid destroyed everything. But then you've also got like, there are monsters. Yeah. And the monsters are trying to kill us and they are jumping out at us. Yeah. And so... I have a laundry list of movies that we need to watch at the end of our seasons for hiatus material. Right. And I go through and I'm like, oh, this is an apocalyptic film. Oh, wait, it's zombies. We're not a zombie podcast. We're going to set that aside. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's sneaky zombies. Like you're 28 days later and stuff. It's like, is it technically zombies? It's it is. more of a virus. They're zombies after they've gotten bitten by a virus. Virus is zombies. I mean- they're linked, I think. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I do dig the name of your podcast. Oh, thank you. We just watched Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> now, you two have done a whole episode of your podcast on this movie, and I'm pretty sure you watched the theatrical two-hour cut. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to watch the three-hour cut that I sent you? Nope. <laughs> Mm -mm. I, I couldn't bring myself to make Michelle do it. <laughs> I mean, as you can clearly see, our marriage is hanging yeah, we're, on by a Yeah, we're thread. still intact. 
Yeah. We, we need to keep this marriage alive. So <laughs> Wedding bands <laughs> so we are still on. So, you know, we didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. I already destroyed Michelle's childhood once with this movie. <laughs> so, no, we, no, have we haven't. I feel I like it would to, explain a lot I more. Can't. I want to watch it, but I'm going to have to do it, it on my own. But it already felt so long. <laughs> the two hour felt so long. And I was like, what is happening? This isn't what I remember. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There were a lot of parts where I was like, this ain't right. And it happened. I would really like so. to see another cut of the movie where it is brought back down to, you know, an hour, 42 hours, something a little bit more typical. Mm-hmm. But not the theatrical cut. Right. Trim some of that fat because it had a lot of fat on it. See, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And the extended edition that we're watching for the minute by minute does have answers and it does have moments that improve things. Not all of the editions are great. Okay. Some of them are. Yeah. You see why they cut them. (laughs) But I would like to see someone go in and re-edit it back down just to make Mm. it a better movie. And frankly, some of the scenes are completely out of order, and it's very obvious that they're out of order. Really? Yeah, it's <laughs> bad. See, maybe I watched the original version when I was a child. That's why I was like, oh, this is a wonderful movie. I love <laughs> Kevin Costner. I, I want to live in Waterworld, even I'm with all those pirates. pretty sure you were just a child. <laughs> you never know. I was pretty deep back then. How oh, dare okay. you? Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the big selling points of this movie are, oh, look at all of the things that are happening on screen right now. Look over here. There is stuff. Look over there. There are happenings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that a guy flying through the air on a jet ski? You bet your butt it is. <laughs> right. Sometimes that's what the movie's about. <laughs> There's definitely plenty to look at. Mm-hmm. That is established. Not all of it is necessary. There's so many times <laughs> where it's like, so how long are we supposed to look at the ocean for? Forever. You're supposed to look at the ocean forever. (laughs) No, no, we get it. It's in the title. It's Waterworld. We get it. (laughs) Remember, just knowing some of the background of the movie, they just wanted to emphasize that this is the real ocean, okay? This isn't some fake CGI that we did. We went to the ocean, and it was horrid. (laughs) You know, they're like, I want you to look at it. Yeah. We did this for you. We (laughs) suffered. For this art. And so you're going to suffer right along with us. (laughs) Yeah, but see, I'm really good at deleting memories from my mind. So at this point, like Waterworld is back to normal. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really remember what I didn't like about it. What hurt me, you know? I was like, no, it's not that bad. (laughs) I think I could watch the three hour version. In this format that we do, we do two minutes at a time. So we Mm. go through this movie really, really slowly. Mm. which means that action scenes could take us weeks to talk about. Oh, wow. And over the course of weeks that we're talking about an action sequence, and it's wonderful, and it's fantastic, mm-hmm. and there's jet skis and airplanes. It's just so great. You forget why people don't like this movie. <laughs> and then flip around and you spend weeks just on the ocean, not looking at anything, and nothing <laughs> happens. And you're like, oh, I remember now. Oh, right. (laughs) And then it's up to us to invent some sort of gimmick. Okay, how are we going to talk about a cherry tomato for 20, 30 minutes? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's quite the challenge you've uh, laid in front of y'all. Yes, it is. (laughs) You know, sometimes you get a good minute 
and it's super great to talk about, and other times your plans just go up in smoke. Speaking of things going up in smoke, we start off this week's episode. Gregor, he's up in his balloon, he's shouting down at Helen and the Mariner, and he is telling Helen that she was smart to burn her boat, because without the smoke, he never would have found her. I really appreciate that they are explaining that, okay, it's not that Gregor is literally coming out of the blue, totally random, deus ex machina situation. He's up there in his airship, he's going around looking for salvage, and I'm assuming this column of smoke rising from the burning trimaran must have been hundreds and hundreds of feet tall, so of course... If you're looking for salvage, you see a column of smoke, you go towards it. I love that explanation of what's going on. It is good, but it is also funny that he says, you know what? Good thing you burned it. Like, smart. Right? You know, that's a weird way to say it, guy. Like, (laughs) smart thing, guys. Burn the boat. That way, signal fire. Perfect. But isn't that his character, though? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the kind of character he is, but also they had to figure out a way to tie in the fact that he came to save them. Right. It had to make sense. Yeah. Because heaven forbid something in this world not make any sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it is absolutely his character. When he left the show months ago, <laughs> it was in a very bumbling professor sort of way. Yep. Yeah, that is true. It felt like the Wizard of Oz, mm. where the balloon took off accidentally. In fact, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, he is that is absolutely is the exactly Wizard of Oz and the balloon same. takes off accidentally. Yeah. I don't think we made that comparison. <laughs> I oh, think well. we missed that one. Yeah. But he continues on that feeling of this bumbling, nutty professor type mm-hmm. where just because he has all sorts of happy accidents, he thinks other people do too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Yeah. He's definitely a... Uh, you know, earth half full kind of guy or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> it just cracks me up that you're right. He does definitely whoopsie his way into flying around the world for apparently, I'm assuming months, right? We have done a poor job because we're the ones who are supposed to be the experts on this movie talking about two minutes at a time. We have not been keeping track of days. Oh, <laughs> There's no actual way of doing that, though, is there? Only if they show us nighttime. Yeah. Right. We can't promise that they're showing us every nighttime. Yeah, mm. that's true. I mean, it had to have taken some time from dropping a sail and smacking her with an oar until now with her all like, eh, he's all right. I couldn't have gotten here without him. <laughs> it's those survival kisses. They, they do it every time. <laughs> Anytime kisses. an underwater kiss happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something gets something. I don't know what happens. <laughs> Another thing to consider as far as Gregor is concerned is that when last he saw Helen and Enola, they were on the atoll and they had not escaped. And so I imagine it's a bit surprising for Gregor to find this burned wreckage and lo and behold, it's Helen who is on it. Because for all he knew, she in theory would have escaped with the other atoll survivors and wound up at that little floaty donut. But when she wasn't there, I guess he would only assume that she had been killed or taken by smokers. So I imagine that he's very happy to find her, A, not dead, B, not captured. Right. For me, he kind of seems like me, because like I constantly say weird things and put my foot in my mouth. And it's like when you're so excited, like you can't control what comes out. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So I think if I was going around looking for my friends, especially because I think he had 
like a really good relationship with them and like treated the girl as his grandchild. So if he was looking around and then he finds them, I think I would be saying all sorts of weird things because I'm so excited. You know? Yeah. Something else I also love about his opening statement is that he recognizes the mariner. He calls him Ichthusapien, which is Fishman, which is what he called Mm -hmm. him back on the Atoll. So it fits. He doesn't treat him poorly in any way. Yeah. He treats him like, hey, look, it's you. I know you. You're not dead. Yeah. Last time I saw you, you were sinking into a bog and now you're alive. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. He's like the only one that treats him like, hey, he's people too. (laughs) <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> everybody else is like kill too <laughs> isn't it always like the elders who are really knowing who seem to be more accepting especially in movies and such i would think so there is definitely a theme of the wise tribal elder yeah but he's also very like einsteiny in the sense that he's like the one making inventions and things and yeah you know he's like almost in an elevated mindset of how the world works Whereas everybody's kind of fallen back to like primitive times. Right. He's got this scientific knowledge and he knows that that scientific knowledge isn't affected by what's behind your ears. Yeah. (laughs) Science is science to everybody. Yeah. But also it's like that natural form of evolution, right? But then like I would find it so dope if I could have gills. (laughs) I know, right? Swimming underwater like that would be amazing. Right? Especially in an earth made of water. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it seems just like beneficial. How is he not held up as a god? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Thinking back on the atoll, you definitely see the elders, those people that were like, hey, have sex with this teenager before you leave. Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> they were all sticks in the mud traditionalists. And then you've got Gregor, who's like, I'm sciencey. I'm the new excited free thinker guy and so mm-hmm. of course he sees the mariner as a fascination and not something evil that is going to infect the atoll the longer he sticks around right yeah right. that makes sense it still bothers me that their solution was let's murder him so he doesn't infect anybody instead of just kicking him out so he can't infect anybody but that's so much water under so yeah. many bridges that don't exist in this world because it's all covered in water. <laughs> yeah, it is quite the quick turnaround. Like, hey, what if you're our new, like, breed person? And then it goes from that to murder him. Right. Within moments, they didn't have to think about it. Everybody was on board. No votes were taken. But isn't <laughs> like, that kind of what humans do? Just a little bit? Like, isn't that why we don't deserve nice things? <laughs> they had, <laughs> they had <Yeah>. torches <laughs> and pitchforks so quickly. It yeah, was unreal. I mean, <laughs> I could think of numerous occasions. Right, we don't like anything that's different than us either. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking generally, of course. Yeah, no to aliens. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I really like in the novelization, Helen gets an opportunity to carry on a bit of dialogue with Gregor before they climb up onto the airship. Mm-hmm. The Mariner said nothing, but Helen cried, What are you doing here? Looking for survivors from the atoll attack, he said. The rest of us are on the eastern banks. He was moving in closer, his smile as big as the dirigible. This is a miracle, a bona fide miracle. Here, grab hold, I'll lower some lines to pull you on. What eastern banks? Yeah, I don't understand the phrase, we're on the eastern banks. That makes zero sense to me. Yeah. But I do like how... There's an explanation that he's not just out there on a pleasure cruise. <laughs> but also, like, whatever that right. is. Like, I mean, it's all water. How do you know the difference? Yeah. What? Yeah. 
I'm just sitting here baffled now. I, right. The banks of more water? Is that a <laughs> yeah. thing? It's <laughs> the so divide between yeah. that water over there and this water over here. Yeah, the eastern banks are where the water goes from like bluish green to real blue. Maybe that's why. From <laughs> higher up, maybe you can see the different colors of the water depending on how much mm. of like reefs and mountains that, you know, if it's covering it, the color would be different. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. We found a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at finding reasons. <laughs> there must still be currents going around the world. Mm. True. Yes. Yeah. I don't think they'd be at all the same because they're driven by land masses and wind, which is also driven by land masses. Mm-hmm. But they might still exist. So it could be the difference between one current and another. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I had a suspicion that the Eastern Banks was the name of this new tiny atoll that these survivors are putting together. Oh, that they named it? Mm. But I was disappointed, or maybe not disappointed, I don't know, with my expectations of this book. The (laughs) atoll is named New Oasis because the old atoll was called Oasis. That's all stuff from the book. We never hear a title for the atoll in the movie. That's fine. But... (laughs) <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that, oh, yes, this is our atoll. We call it Oasis. And I'm like, oh, very original, guys. And then they make a new one. This is new Oasis. And I was like, wow, how, how many minutes did that take to think of? Yeah. Rick, we live in New England, where <laughs> half of our towns are the same names as England, and the other half of the towns are the same names as England with new in front of it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, isn't that so U.S., though? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> isn't that just so us? <laughs> I think that was whoever landed because there is, like, New South Wales in, like, Australia. So yeah. whoever yeah. landed there was but like, this makes, is the new one. <laughs> but it makes so much sense that they do that in the book, too. Because yeah. it's like, do we really change as humans just because the Earth, like... So is there a little floating raft called like third times the charm or something? Like <laughs> it's bad luck to not have your boat given a name. Yeah. So you gotta yeah, name it something. You have to name it. Take three. <laughs> I wonder what gives people the need to just put new. Because I would assume if it went down in a fiery like blunder or whatever, I would want to name it something completely different. Like I've never named my car the same thing. I've never <laughs> named my child like the same name but new. The George Foreman effect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think I would name the second atoll something completely different, mm-hmm. but something hopeful and fresh. Mm-hmm. Something that has a bit of distance from the old name. This place is completely new and different. Also, they lost the atoll, but they also lost a lot of people. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're grieving, and perhaps they find comfort in remembering the atoll, but they also really need to move on. Mm -hmm. I had this thought about renaming something based on a thing that went up in flames. And I thought, oh, is there a Hindenburg too? There technically was, but it was like the sister ship built at like the exact same time. So it's not like they had the first Hindenburg blow up and said, oh, we're going to try again. Um, (laughs) Not like the Titanic too, which is a ship that was Mm -hmm. built. So I remember yeah. with the Hindenburg, it's more like they had twins and named them Thing One and Thing Two. Mm. Ah, yeah, they went the Doctor Seuss route instead of naming them Dwayne and Rebecca. <laughs> Dwayne went down in a fiery <laughs> explosion. <laughs> Rebecca was uh, inconsolable. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it's like that scary doll hard. Annabelle. Could you imagine if they like they're like, okay, well, we really screwed up on this one. We're gonna make a new one, but call it New Annabelle. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Hopefully, Fingers this one crossed. isn't possessed. This one's gonna be good. <laughs> you would think that after the '90s, when Coke made new Coke and it failed mm. horribly, that people <laughs> all over the world would just realize, okay, you can't just slap new on something and have it be better. Mm. Yeah. No, but they'll never stop trying. They'll never stop trying. <laughs> no, it's just good marketing, apparently. Because at the very least, all diehard Coke fans will buy it to try it. Ooh. There is a curiosity that does get me, and I am one of those people that if I see new on a product, I'm like, well... I mean, they it's a do it new for you. Snickers. They do it for people like you. <laughs> I yeah. know. You are that psychological anomaly that they're all like, well, you see. Look, if you put a large this, group of people. <laughs> if you put Gatorade in a different shape bottle, I'll buy that too. You're the same like, focus group that, you know, it's the two for one sale. You're a part of that. I love a two for one yeah, sale. Yeah, I know. Sure, the old Atoll, the old Oasis, they took people they said were mutants, threw them in cages, and then tried to drown them. That might not be the case on New Oasis. <laughs> they probably got a new horrible way to destroy people <laughs> they don't like. Yeah, that sounds like the case. Yeah, <laughs> Things don't go well when they reach the new atoll. Is it really mm. an atoll yet? I don't think so. It's yeah. a boat donut. <laughs> <laughs> it's not big enough to be an atoll. This New Oasis is as much an atoll as a circle of covered wagons is a city. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Not at all. An apt comparison. <laughs> Gregor is very eager to rescue Helen and the Mariner. He tosses them down a rope and says that he will help them climb up. But then he has to stop and ask, where is Enola? Because based on Gregor's experience with Helen, she would never let Enola out of her sight. And so it's then that Helen has to break the news to him that Enola has been taken and they don't have Liam Neeson there to help them, so <laughs> they're at a loss of someone with a very specific set of skills. I mean, they have the Mariner, but... Right, he, they have someone with a very specific set of skills. He hasn't volunteered yet, so, you know, he's not going to be calling up the Deacon anytime soon. But Gregor does take the opportunity to comment after Helen says that the Mariner saved her to say, thank you, my friend, that's very human of you. Mm. It's an interesting line. It is. He's been so cool about the gills and everything like that until here where he kind of definitely others him. Yeah, very human of you. Wink, nudge, you're not human. <laughs> like, yeah. The only reason that I'm okay with it, because it is very othering, is that the Mariner calls himself not human. Okay, that's fair. So he sees himself as other, but Gregor doesn't know that. So I'm okay with Gregor othering him i guess i don't love it but i can live with it there's just something about the way he says it that rubs me the wrong way because from the mariner's perspective most of the people he's found on his adventure have stolen from him cheated him betrayed him tried to kill him all sorts of terrible things this idea of saving someone from death is not a human trait that he has witnessed in the course of this movie. Mm. Well, that's fair. So yeah. true. Hmm. So I guess it's just another comment on Gregor, that Gregor sees all of these lofty qualities of humanity and is saying that the Mariner is embodying those. It's um, Colonizer saying, like, you know, the noble savage kind of thing. 
to me. Like, that's how that strikes me. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, aren't you sophisticated for a savage? Right. Yeah, Sort of thing. That is very, very true. Okay, I love that you (laughs) said that because there is a scene earlier on here in the extended edition that they leave out of the theatrical version where after Helen has said that she pities the mariner he goes and he pulls out his national geographic to look up the word pity Mm. and there it is in a picture you've got these natives standing outside of a tent with this explorer dude and his little pith helmet sitting inside his tent and he's cooking up his meals and the caption is pity the noble savage oh wow Ooh. yeah so they're drawing a parallel like all of these atollers they are the european explorers and him as the mutant is the native Mm mm-hmm He's more well adapted to Waterworld than they are. Of course, yeah. In a way, they're visitors to this area, and he's sort of not necessarily guiding them through it. Oh my gosh, my mind is so blown right now. You know what's wild is that, yeah, because I'm like, why would you cut that from the theatrical? Because that really like spells out a lot. Oh my gosh, that puts so much substance to the movie, just thinking about it. If there's one thing Kevin Costner loves doing, it's identifying with Native people. He really does, doesn't he? There's a reason they called this movie Dances with Dolphins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I I like that. I have not heard that before. There's so many good renames of his movies. Yeah. Because they did that with The Postman too. Oh yeah, we watched The Postman on ours and they they called it Dirt World. Yeah, they called (laughs) it Dirt World. (laughs) Nice. No, but seriously, like you talking about that, like just blew my mind about Waterworld. Yeah, that's actually fascinating, actually. Yeah. That had so much, like, substance to the movie. And they were just like, yeah, but this is a lot. You know, cut it. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, my gosh, it totally makes sense. Everything makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Kevin Costner. Look what they did. (laughs) Those words shouldn't be uttered. (laughs) I don't know. It's just mind-blowing. Like, I can't even describe to, like, in words, like, what's going on in my brain right now (laughs) trying to like compute all that i'm like oh my god it all makes sense now (laughs) this is an example of if this movie was recut using all available footage back down to a two-hour movie Mm -hmm. it would be a completely different movie and it could be so much better i fully agree with you now (laughs) like i see what you mean and it could have a completely different tone and a completely different message that frankly we need Mm -hmm. for sure there's so much of this movie where you're just really not on anybody's side. And like, it would really help if we could pick a side to like root oh, for. Oh, that's so true. Even when Kevin caught like the Mariner does stuff, I'm like, ew, why? <laughs> but then like, if I had seen that clip, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like I could understand like what he's trying to get at. Like yeah, his, where he's coming his from personality too, right? Like you see certain things, but you don't really get why. You're just like, oh, is it because he just lived alone forever? <laughs> like, you know, like you don't really understand that he's supposed to be signifying a separate kind, you know, quote unquote, like kind of person while these other people are, you know, so there's these three separate types of groups of people in this movie. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Now I want to watch that long version. <laughs> <laughs> You've been talked into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very good at following somebody's lead. Somebody says it enough, I'm like, okay, I'll try it. (laughs) There's a part in this scene that I did want to address, though, is when she says that the little girl has been taken, she just says it so flatly, it's strikingly odd (laughs) to me. Like, she's just like, oh, yeah, they took her. She was taken by the smokers. 
Maybe that's <laughs> like, just your perception. I don't feel like she did that. Hmm. Helen is not overly dramatic. True. And it's definitely a Gene Triplehorn line delivery style. <laughs> but also, I like to think that Helen and Gregor raising this child who was an anomaly, who's got this thing on her back and nobody wants her there. Nobody wanted her on the Atoll. True. That mm. they kind of have had this conversation before. Hmm. People might want to come and take her. And that is a possibility. And they were trying. I mean, they were building this dirigible so that they could leave. They knew that they weren't safe on the atoll. So I think possibly they've had this conversation before. Hmm. But also, That's what fair. if it was just a matter of fact? And she's like, okay, now what? Like, what do we do to get her back? Yeah. You're right. Like, she was never really that emotional in the whole movie other than like. Uh, when he tries to of... toss her overboard, she gets pretty. Uh... Well, anger is not <laughs> one of those emotions. Pretty that... excitable. I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. She does. She gets angry a couple times and she yells and she gets physical in that anger, but she never gets hysterical. No, but also it's like what I meant by emotion was she's not lovey-dovey. She's not passionate. It's almost like she has this guard up because she's had a really rough life and she's also like a barkeep. You have to keep yourself together constantly and have to deal with a lot of people that are not favorable or kind. That's fair. Describing her statement as matter of fact is probably the best way to do it because mm. it is a fact. It is the situation that they are up against and fretting about it and being super worried and loud isn't necessarily going to fix it. So it is information that has to be passed along because now their goal is to get Enola back. Mm -hmm. Right. They need to plan a rescue. I guess it just struck me as odd that it's just like, this is what happened. Okay. Okay. And then we move on. <laughs> like, it's just an interesting way of delivering that information. Yeah. They gave it more consideration than when the Mariner got on the burned wreckage and he was like, my boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> All that sadness and emotion pouring out in just two simple words delivered by Kevin Costner. <laughs> Flat as the open plains. <laughs> As we transition from the burned out wreckage onto Gregor's flying machine, I do want to point out that the Mariner has brought along the plastic canister with the pages in it that he got from the rapey drifter. Mm. So I forgot about him. <laughs> I keep I keep trying to remind myself that even though not everything in that scene necessarily needed to happen, the end result is that we got that canister because it's gonna be very important later on in the episode. What I really want to point out is as they're flying up to this little circle of boats, you've got Gregor, ever the eternal optimist, who's like, you see, right down there, I have found other survivors. We're going to start over again. And I'm like, okay, well, thinking of the atoll they had versus the atoll they currently have, this whole idea of building again, it's going to be a long process. Yeah, definitely. He is so optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, unreasonably so. It's one of those things where people will be like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. Yeah. And you're like, mm, like, no, I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> I think we're in a bit of a pickle here, to say the least. Did you see how tall those walls were? How much raw material, how much steel was in that atoll? Yeah. I don't know what necessarily happened to it because we follow the Mariner as they sail away and the Deegan never returns to it. So I don't know if it's like the ledger guy said back in episode 27 that, oh, they just sink the atolls. And so all of that material is down at the bottom of the ocean. Or maybe the smokers left a small regiment to try and lure in 
other boats to steal mm. stuff from them. I don't know if they're that smart. Probably not. But it really bums me out that these atoll survivors can't just wait over here for a while and then just sneak back onto the atoll once the smokers leave. Mm. Right. They would have more material to work with than what they've got here. Yeah. Half a dozen boats. I kind of assume that the smokers just take all of that because they're constantly building stuff that we're not sure what it is, but they're welding things all the time for some reason. They're constantly welding. So I'm assuming that they're just going to take some of that and repurpose it or something. I certainly hope so. Yeah. But also, I mean... like, if you're living in the middle of water <laughs> with nothing to do, no Netflix to watch, you don't know how to read, building something is literally all you have time for. <laughs> so I don't even think they're like, oh, man, we got to do it all over again. They're like, oh, wait, we have stuff to do finally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stay busy. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. You know? But also, the dude, he's one of those people that portrays those super smart people who say dumb things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're very brain smart, but not slick smart. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. So it's like he never really thinks through things. Uh, high intelligence, low wisdom. They can do calculus, <laughs> but then they're really awkward in front of other people. Yeah. We know several people like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. We do, too. Yep. They are optimistic because they don't really think long term about certain situations. Hmm. So I don't know if that's what it was, too. He was just happy that there were people alive. And he was like, we could do this again. Not really thinking about what it actually takes to build a new city. <laughs> yeah. Infrastructure is an important thing when you're considering world building, for sure. Yeah. I want to duck back into the book, because here in the clip, the Mariner sees the survivors on this mini atoll, and he reaches back and he pulls out his machete, because he's going to be ready for a fight. Are you all right? Helen asked him. This is wrong. What? I should have stayed with the raft. Then she understood. They won't try to harm you, she said. He shot a skeptical look at her. She reached around and touched his arm. They'll be grateful. They'll welcome you, just like Gregor did. The wind was ruffling his hair. She could see the gills behind his ears. Last time, he said, they welcomed me into their organo barge. I'll tell them what you did, how you saved my life. He was shaking his head no. I don't want to stay. I just want a boat. He nodded toward the bottle with the brittle pages. I'll give them my pages for anything that floats. Is that what you want? It's what I want. She searched his face, but it didn't tell her anything. Will you take me with you? Now he looked at her, eyes narrowed. Is that what you want? I want to go after Enola. In one boat? Now she shook her head no. I want to talk them into untying all of those boats and going after the smokers, going after Enola. He looked at her a long time, then he sighed, laughed humorlessly. They won't do it. Wow, that's deep. It's like a, a water version of Dances with Wolves, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Right? Like, I can literally picture that scene. It makes sense, though. I mean, he was right. They pretty much were like, nah, you figure it out yourself. So, like, yeah. and he really wasn't wrong, necessarily. <laughs> He's got every reason not to trust these people at all. Right. Helen's words, and even here in the movie... She says, very simply, don't worry, they'll welcome you just like Gregor did. That is a lie. Like, yeah, why does she think that? Like, this is yeah. Maury so Povich naive. opening up an envelope saying the tests prove that that was a lie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> back on the atoll, they were building the dirigible because they knew they weren't welcome there. The people on the old atoll didn't like Helen. Yeah. What makes her think that they are going to like her now? Yeah. 
or be so grateful for her savior. No, they don't care. Right. I guess if you haven't seen somebody in a while and you're like, oh, that guy was all right. And then you meet him again and you're like, oh, I forgot. He's kind of a jerk. (laughs) Like like maybe it's just she's been at sea long enough that she's like, ah, these people, these people are cool. But also (laughs) maybe she's just naive thinking that, oh, a whole bunch of people died. So they're going to be so excited to see new survivors. But most people are not that. Mm. Yeah, people are weird. (laughs) I know. They're weird and unpredictable, except that this was entirely predictable. (laughs) (laughs) This is how they act every time. Yeah. Pick a point in history, put your finger on it, done. Like they've done that before, (laughs) then and then and then. (laughs) Hmm. How long has it been since Helen was laying on the wreckage, crying, saying that she didn't want to live? Hmm. Hours? Same day. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of a sudden she's super optimistic about people welcoming them back that will be so grateful that she's alive. Mm. It's, it just seems like a big swing. I know I said a few minutes ago that she's not really all that emotional, doesn't get hysterical, but this is a pretty big swing. At the same time, she was rescued by her one friend in the world out of literally the blue. And I don't know, maybe that would change your tune a little bit. <laughs> like. Yeah. If Gregor survived, maybe there were other people from the Atoll that survived, and maybe they weren't part of that crowd that wanted to kill Enola back when we were on the Atoll. Yeah, maybe Gregor's overwhelming optimism <laughs> has rubbed off on Helen. It's infectious. <laughs> but I think, like, also just humanity in general, like, even when we are at our lowest, we always try to find hope to, like, grab ourselves out. Ultimately, humans have this, like, primal need to survive right so either that or the author forgot that (laughs) she didn't want to live the writer was like spent a couple of months for you know on hiatus came back and he kind of forgot where (laughs) she was at (laughs) and we could just be over-examining this he just went on vacation in the middle (laughs) he came back he came back from uh, fiji and he was just like oh man I feel so much better. Of course my character should too. (laughs) The movie wastes very little time in showing us just how much the Atollers want nothing to do with Helen. As soon as we cut to Gregor sitting with his magnifying glass looking at the airline pamphlet that he got from the Mariner, you can hear the Atollers in the background saying, You can't ask us to go and get her. Enola's the reason we're in this trouble to begin with. Forget about it. And Helen is pleading with them, the smokers need to find dry land just as much as we do. And it's then that Gregor seems to discover a breakthrough regarding Enola's tattoo, because this pamphlet he's reading, this airline pamphlet, is essentially a Rosetta Stone of all these different languages that he has never had access to. All of his books back at the Atoll, none of them were airline pamphlets printed in 57 different languages. Oh, right. Yeah. Huh. It's such a interesting attention to detail that they spend on that because it's like, okay, well, what would have some sort of instruction manual or something like that that would have things printed in multiple languages and stuff? I mean, it's genius, <laughs> but they gloss over it in like they the really... matter of two seconds. I didn't even know it was an airline I pamphlet. didn't know that that was what that was that he was reading. <laughs> yeah, but like... it's pretty genius as a Rosetta Stone because you do, you're right. They put almost as many languages that they passively can pack into that page. Who knew that all those instruction manuals for 
everything electronic that you ever buy that you throw away without looking at that are packed with languages. Who knew that they would be so useful? <laughs> right? Now yeah. I'm going to keep them. I know. I think a lot about my post-apocalyptic toolbox, even though I don't want to survive. I don't yes. want to be part of a post-apocalyptic era. I, I don't want to live through it. It Same. would be miserable. Same. Like, yeah. seriously, just kill me on the first round. I'm done. <laughs> but I find the idea of a toolbox fascinating. First of all, magnets. We've talked about that plenty. Magnets are in your toolbox. Very handy. Second of all, I think putting those bits of paper that you find with all the languages on them, throw them in there. Hmm. See, I like that idea. Yep. I'm going to add that to my hypothetical go bag that I don't have still because I'm too lazy to create one. Yep. <laughs> uh, I have a Pinterest board, but I don't have an actual go bag. This is a real slippery slope to you just being a hoarder for paper. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm this already a hoarder. This is a real slippery slope to finding multiple cats under the couch kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all about an economical use of space. Like, I have a little cubby holder on my desk here and I reached over and I pulled out the important safety instructions for a pair of earbuds that I have. And there are seriously like 20 different languages represented in this little booklet. That's the size of my hand. Hmm. If you are stuck in a situation where it's like, Oh, I need to know what this language is. I can see the letters, but I don't understand it. I need some way to translate it. Mm hmm. Little pocket-sized instruction safety manual from something as innocuous as earbuds, very handy to have mm -hmm. in a post-apocalypse. Yep. I said that weird. I put weird emphasis on that word. Yep. <laughs> Why do you still have that? Because I'm afraid to throw things away. Oh my <laughs> gosh, throw it away. But what if no, I, I get need... it? What if you need it one day? Like the post-apocalypse safety any... instructions. Is there anything in there you can't <laughs> get right off here. Google? All right, no, but still. But what if Google goes away? Yeah. What if and we have to learn how to translate away, things that again. That means there is enough problems with the infrastructure that your Bluetooth earbuds won't work anyways. <laughs> I guess. And it means you can't get podcasts or music online, so why would you want to? No, but we just talked about how we needed a, some form of written manual <laughs> that has multiple <laughs> languages. What I'm saying is, he should put it in his go bag or whatever bin you were talking about. Hmm. A go bin. Then it at least a go bin. Then at least whoever is going to survive will have access to this useful manual <laughs> to I guess, translate yeah, if you, words. If you're walking across the wasteland and you run into somebody that doesn't speak your language, you can go, "Which one are you?" Yeah. <laughs> and then we can maybe start to translate. <laughs> Which one makes sense to you? But also, if we live in a world where there is nothing to do, like no Netflix saying and no, I, you know, karaoke, whatever, like reading a manual might be fantastic. Mm. Who knows? But in reality, you should throw it away. We're hearing the Atollers and Helen shout back and forth at each other. Mm -hmm. that Helen is insisting that if the Mariner is willing to go after Enola, then why not them as just normal people? And there's one Atoll woman in particular that specifically says, we don't want you here. You or the girl just really reminding us these people hate Helen. And Gregor approaches Helen and he's like, Helen, ignore them because I have important information here. I've made a breakthrough. Listen to me, please. The papers the Mariner brought you, it's the same language as the tattoo is written in. And he starts lifting off numbers and he's like, if I can figure this out, what they refer to. And Helen shuts him down so quickly. She just <laughs> says they refer to nothing. It's like, whoa. Yeah, that's a weird 
tone to take with him of all the people like, okay, look, you could be mad at the rest of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's still trying to figure stuff out and make things happen. You're like, shut yeah, up, old but man. But like, when I'm mad at the world, I get mad at you too. <laughs> like whoever you're most comfortable with, you kind of like uh, We lash hurt the out ones at. closest to us, don't we? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, you can really tell that Helen's trip in the diving bell is really coming to bear on her. She's gone from dry land is great and awesome and we need to find it mm. to dry land was covered by the water and now there is no dry land. She's made such a hard switch around on dry land is not there anymore. And it's something that I shouldn't be surprised by. It's just the way she puts it in this scene seems mm. like she's leaning into it a lot harder than she was before when she was just being depressed on the boat. Yeah. But then, yeah, like, if you're she... being told, like, about this, you know, the atoll or treating you that way and saying that, I feel like I would just feel like I need to lash out, right? Like, so don't give anybody any more hope either. Yeah, I think they really did turn her around. She went from wanting to die to, oh, no, everything's cool now, to everybody just yelling at her. And you're like, eh, she's been through a roller coaster, I guess. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah, definitely. It's been a it's been a rough time. <laughs> there are atollers that shout in from the side saying that Gregor is as crazy as Helen is. And there's one other atoll woman who says that they can't stay here. And another one pipes up saying that they are wasting valuable time. They need to move before more smokers show up. Mm -hmm. Because smokers will just arrive from out of the darkness no matter where they are. They're like the bogeyman. They'll just pop out of nowhere. They'll literally pop out of the water sometimes. Do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. They're out not wrong. The sky, out of the water. <laughs> I have to wonder, though, for this atoll configuration, going back to my covered wagon analogy, when they need to move, do they untie and move as a school of boats, or do they all just sit on the outside of the donut and start paddling <laughs> and move it like a big old inner tube? That's such a good mm. question. <laughs> a couple of them are masted, so I would hope that they use sails. If they have them, they really might not have any sort of fabric or canvas. Right. But just from my basic knowledge of sails, you can't have them all strung together. They have to go on their own. <laughs> yeah, they're very directional. Could you imagine them trying to all, <laughs> all they're strung up like a donut? <laughs> the whole thing just starts rotating and doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're just going in circles. Now, Guys, we're doing this wrong. If they took all of their masts and canvas that they do have and rig up one sail mm. then they could absolutely sail around mm. as a mm. unit yep that would work the uber sail <laughs> well, that would totally work yeah but they'd have to be cooperative and industrious yeah, but they're so mean and yeah. yeah they're mean i don't really picture them doing amazing things <laughs> i wouldn't want to start a new civilization with them no, they yeah. don't seem like uh, pull together and one for all kind of a group. Mm -hmm. If I was Helen, I'd be like, okay, bye, Felicia. Just yeah. dip out right. and leave, like, you know. Okay, we with, checked yeah. in with you guys. Glad you're alive, but bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. do you. We're going to go make a better little town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a better dirigible. water town. <laughs> we have We're a dirigible. Yeah. We don't need you. <laughs> We're going to make our own town with cocaine and hookers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it Splashtown USA. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be so nice. better than yours. Because <laughs> <laughs> it has a better name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out that I think that this is the first time that the name The Mariner has been said out loud in the movie. I think you're right. 
I don't think anybody's ever actually called him anything except right. Ichthosapien and bad words. Muto. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think freak. this is the first time anyone has given him a name that wasn't an insult. That was purely right. a neutral descriptor. He is the Mariner because that's what he does. I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you pointed that out because we've been calling him the Mariner this entire time yeah. with no justification for it up to this point. Right. <laughs> but it all ties in now, you see? Yeah. It's like two thirds through the movie or so. They're like, all right, we'll name them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to remember for when we get to the very end of the movie that it is Helen who calls him the Mariner. So mm. she's just giving him names left and right in this mm-hmm. version. Yep. All right. Cool, cool, cool. I like it. <laughs> when you two were talking about this movie on your own podcast, you had a lot of whatabouts. And I have to wonder, Mm. did we clear up any of those whatabouts in our conversation today? Probably. (laughs) I'm going to say that I have to say that I have probably forgotten all of our whatabouts. (laughs) Oh, see, thank you for addressing that, Tom, because I thought I was the only person who forgot. Um, (laughs) Like I I said, my brain works in a very special way. Yeah. It forgets things almost immediately. Yeah, I say a lot of words and then ignore them immediately. So I just put it out there for everybody else to deal with. And then I just walk away from it forever. But there is a lot that I feel like as far as like people's motivation and stuff like that, I feel like that has been cleared up a bit. And it definitely feels more like the characters are real now. Like, as mm-hmm. opposed to, yep. they seem very flat in the theatrical version. Oh, like, so everybody, flat. Everybody is almost one-dimensional. <laughs> like, I mean, I was just like, Something. why is Kevin Costner such a bad actor in this one? <laughs> I do think it's really cool how you all, like, do the little, like, minute by minute. Because I think when you do that, you get enough time to really dig into the movie and see all these things that, like, you glance over at. I've watched this movie at least three times. I've never noticed that he had a plane manual. Yeah, I guess ever. I never noticed that either. Or the fact that, like, he says certain words, like, I would gloss over them. But, like, when you are going through, like, a minute or two minute chunks at a time, like, you're really getting to, like, breathe in the movie in a sense. And so, yeah, like, I feel like this movie is a completely different movie from what I saw. (laughs) You know, this one's very interesting. I want to know one thing, though, and this is back a little bit further back in the movie. But when they're like, I'm hungry, and he just dives in and finds a mutant shark to cook. Where did the mutant shark come from? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I ask. There is a detail in the novelization that we don't get in the movie. In the book, he goes about pretty much the same motions. He gets his double-sided spear gun. He hops off the end of the boat, and he's getting dragged by the trawling mode of the trimaran. But in the book, it specifies that he is making high-pitched squeaking noises with his mouth. Like like a dolphin. Like a dolphin. Drawing that creature up from deep in the ocean. Because he is making this dying animal sound. So it's not just oh. that he's oh gosh, splashing that around. Oh my so cool to watch in the movie. I know! Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a bummer. Okay. Yeah. I like that. And Dude, it that would have been... been so cool to watch if he's like, ah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what the heck is he doing? And then oh. all of a sudden you see it going, oh, like a dog. Yeah. You know, like a dog hearing something funny. I can oh just imagine gosh. Kevin Reynolds walking up to Kevin Costner and be like, okay, 
um, I want to hear your dolphin impression. And Kevin Costner being like, no, I'm not doing that. No. It's like, fine, I guess we won't have it. He could have played him uh, Xena Princess Warrior. Uh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, they this is what I want. Do then, this. then they'll just be like, okay, then can you just do this with your mouth? And just go like, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> and then they would just put Xena's voice yeah. in there. Warbled under the water. <laughs> Done. In this re-edit of Waterworld that I will literally never do, I would add some <laughs> dolphin sound effects in there just to make it sound as if he's the one that's doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, not to. Because what now, else would draw the, something that big up to the surface? The only question I still remains is, why do sharks evolve in water? Yeah. That's one <laughs> thing we never really answered, where the whale fin necessarily came from. Yeah. I was just wondering about that. Like, why? Okay. They've been in water for forever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's more water and they're like, now it's time. Now what, it's what time to evolve. It was like some sort of shark monster. Oh, shark. yeah. Like, yeah. It was vertical it was, mouth. It was extra yeah, it shark. Was, it was sideways. I have one theory. Okay. The world being covered in water, it doesn't make any sense in the timeline of things. Like, the world doesn't just flood all in one day and everyone's so surprised. No, it would happen slowly over time. You know, like, it's happening right now. And people Bible. would have a crap <laughs> ton of time to prepare. If you gave our society, like, 100 years, and we actually, you know, believed them, to be like, no, 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 you will no longer be a land-dwelling people. You will be a water-dwelling people. We would engineer the crap out of that. We'd be like, mm. cool, we got this. Because we have, like, the imagination and the creativity and the technology. Like, we could do that, no problem. But they didn't, and that makes no sense. So, so what if there was a nuclear apocalypse before there was a water apocalypse? Uh, okay. And things are irradiated. Okay. And maybe that's how we got the Mariner as well. Now, the only reason I disagree with what you just said yeah. is because <laughs> I think it was like in the 70s, like 72, when like Exxon did the studies and they're like, hey, the world's getting hotter. Yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> we're we're like and... really doing this. And here it is, 2021, and there's still people like- and nothing. Nah, come on. Hotter? Shut up. <laughs> No, but also, like, what if they were mating? Like, what if over the years, some of these fishy thingies started mm -hmm. mating with other fishy thingies? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they had to adapt because the saline of, like, the ocean is different because, okay. mm -hmm. like, it's yeah. now covering the whole world. And that gives you a double mouth? Who knows? Or maybe it's, like, okay. the super fish that lived deep, deep down in the ocean mm. have now arisen. Right. And oh. even in our real world like today, we have no idea what's down there. There oh, could yeah. be large shark-like creatures that have vertical mouths. That's I mean, they had some of those things floating thing. up on yeah, they like beached one or once or twice and they looked like that. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that we thought giant squids were just mythical beasts. Right. And they were yeah. like, "Oh crap, we found them." Mm. Right? Yeah. This is why Godzilla might be real. I, <laughs> I just want to imagine a world where someone like Island of Dr. Moreau'd these whale fins yeah, into existence. Yeah, I was thinking of Deep Blue Sea. Where he's like, listen, I know the world is becoming covered in water. I know that things are going bad, but I also want to do radical genetic science to create <laughs> a monster. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, dude, you could use this technology to fight climate change and save us. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to create yeah. a sea monster. 
Ah, quiet, you. (laughs) And then he wears an ice bucket on his head like Brando did. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. Let me live. Yeah. He just. (laughs) Let me live my life. (laughs) Dr. Moreau jokered it. Like, he was just like. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I want to watch this world of water burn somehow, (laughs) some way. Plus, you could also go at it from the angle of the whale fins being aliens. Because we know that there is not enough ice on the Earth to completely flood the world to this degree. Mm-hmm. So if a comet or something was hurtling through space and it hit the Earth and all of the ice from that comet melted into the oceans and that's where the extra water came from and there were whale fins like frozen inside the comet. So they're mm-hmm. space aliens. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Aliens. Yeah, I'm not I'm saying, not it's, saying aliens, it's aliens. But it's aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. It explains everything, really. Yeah. It ties it all together in the end. You know, I think that's a good point for us to stop for today. (laughs) (laughs) On aliens. Always. (laughs) It's always good when two drifters meet that something be exchanged. So, Tom and Michelle, could you tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff on the internet? We're on almost all podcast platforms. Just look us up as Apocalypse and Review. And we are on Twitter and Instagram as ApocPod. Mm-hmm. A-P-O-C pod. Yep. And so there you have it. That's how people can find us. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. <laughs> it's a lighthearted review of things that are awful and horrific, <laughs> like world-ending situations. And then you get Tom and Michelle, and they've got this great outlook on things. And so it's a very enjoyable listen. Highly recommended. Awesome. Oh, thank you. So thank much. you. As for us, come back next time. We will see the Atoll survivors continue to squabble. The Mariner will decide it's a good time to leave, and Helen will let him go. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute. And like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 64. We'll see you next time.